As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to the Earth Keepers podcast. This season, I've been welcoming a series of thought-provoking guests to the show to discuss where exactly humanity is headed and how can we collectively create the future we'd like to see. We began the season by discussing ideas around creativity, storytelling, songwriting, and myth to begin to imagine new realities here on Earth before hearing from guests who have been creatively working with sound, crystals, light, animals, and sacred geometry to help us remember how our reality here on Earth actually works and how we can creatively bring some of this ancient future technology into our daily lives. And now we have arrived at the final episode of the season, which is a truly thought-provoking look into the future of the organic and inorganic human race. Who are we now? Who are we becoming? And do we have a choice about how this all plays out? It's my deep hope that these conversations will stir something within you or perhaps light a spark in your imagination for what you might be able to bring forward from the depths of your soul into this reality. I think it's going to take all of our ideas, visions, and inspired action to arrive at this unknown future timeline. So my hope is that this season inspires you to bring your own bit of magic into the world to help usher in what's next for us all. Before we get into this week's episode, if you're feeling inspired to go deeper and want to support the work it takes to bring this podcast to life, I would love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. The Earth Tenders Academy is my online course and community where you can learn more about the history and the energy of the community that you live in, hold space for the healing of humanity and nature, and remember more about your specific gifts and role with the Earth and see the true magic held in your everyday environment. I would love to have you join me in this beautiful community. And now, on with the show. Divine, emotional, beauty. Keoni Hanalei is the founder of Pohala Esoteric Hawaiian Botanical Medicine. If you follow him on Instagram, you have likely encountered his near-daily fern casts, where he shares the teachings and medicine of the Hawaiian ferns, intertwined with the indigenous knowledge of the Hawaiian Islands. His clear transmissions and joyful nature are always a pleasure in my feed, inviting us all to deeply participate in the creation of our lives and our co-creation with this planet. Keone offers the medicine of the ferns through medicinal oils that he creates through careful harvest, distillation, extraction, and ceremony. And let me tell you, 
his offerings are potent and powerful. Now, we recorded this conversation back in mid-July, prior to the devastating wildfires on Maui, where Keone lives. He's since been a vocal and active participant in calling for the repair and restoration of Moku'ula, the original seat of energetic power in Lahaina on Maui. This location is an incredibly important axis mundi, or energetic distributor in the Earth's grids and the inner Earth waters. And the energy was disrupted through the colonization of the island. I'll add a link in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about Project Moku'ula and participate. I have already encoded and sent an Andara crystal from my land to Maui, and you can also do the same. Keoni and I have plans to reconnect in December and discuss the significance of this location, and I look forward to sharing that with you then. In the meanwhile, I had no idea three months ago how impactful this discussion would be in my own life. Re-listening to our conversation now, I received the exact message and medicine that I needed in this moment in time. That around non-attachment and the beauty of how the earth and all of nature models presence and non-attachment to us every single day. Big shifts are afoot for me, and while I'm not ready to share the details yet, as with most transformations, they happen slowly in the background until suddenly you're struck by lightning and everything changes overnight. Can't help but be reminded that the Contemblay's message in last week's episode was about how I was about to be well acquainted with lightning. That message was also recorded a few months ago, and yet it was a potent transmission that I needed to be reminded of in this moment. And so I trust that this conversation is also the medicine you need at this moment in time. Please enjoy the final episode of season four with Keone Hanale. Well, welcome Keone to the Earthkeepers podcast. So happy to have you here today to share your wisdom and knowledge with us. I am super excited, super stoked to be here with you, Amy, and with this audience. Mahalo. Thank you. Well, let's start with going back in time a bit. And if you could just share with us, you know, you're so connected to the realm of the ferns, the plant realm, but what what was your earliest memory of the ferns, at least in this lifetime? Yeah, I, that's the key too in this lifetime because <laughs> the, this medicine or fern medicine, what we call puwa ehu ehu, it's actually a legacy of my lineage. And so it's something that was taught to me by my elders, but of course it spans the entire length of my lineage. And I have access to 1,017 generations of my line and that extends to 18,000 BC. So that's 20,000 years. And so Pua Ehu Ehu Fern Medicine is like a relic of time. And I always share with people the, the fact that this has been preserved in, in our lore, in our traditions for 20,000 years, really does make it one of the oldest, if not the oldest plant medicines known to man. And so I was really raised with this knowledge and with the reverence of, of ferns. And, and the power of ferns and what ferns really represent in correlation to its collaboration and relationship to human beings. I love that. I love that. Just having them surrounding you from, from your earliest time, probably before you can remember having them there. Yes, yes. And we have such a, a, a dynamic diversity of ferns in Hawaii, of course. And so uh, as far as like the actual avatars or the, the, 
the ferns themselves, yes, I remember always being surrounded with them, if not in our living environment, because we are, we had cultivated them in our, in our living spaces, but also wherever we would travel, we would always make a point to visit the, the local ferns. I bet. I bet. Well, tell us a little bit more about fern medicine. And I'm, it's really mind blowing to think about 20,000 years of, uh, knowledge and wisdom held in these beings, but tell us a little bit about the medicine and the history and kind of how it came to be to this point in time. Yes, yes. And and this point of time, it's actually very significant to our correlation with uh, fern medicine in particular, and I'll explain why. Uh, My grandmother, Kawiki Onalani, she was a well-known makaula or mystic here on the island of Maui. And one of her expertise was was the medicine of ferns, poa ehu ehu. And uh, if we go back into my lineage, in the doctrines of my lineage, my mo'oku hao, it tells us about the significance of ferns and how ferns are a medicine. So first, I just want to share uh, just some like basic, fundamental, like uh, really curiosities about ferns themselves. So ferns um, on our planet, they're uh, the only species we know, uh, we know that has achieved what is known as evolutionary stasis. Evolutionary stasis means that it has met its evolutionary ceiling. It's at its homeostasis. And so uh, for like an example, you and I as human beings, we're still evolving. And and most, uh, if not all, other species and organic life on this planet are still evolving. What makes the ferns so unique in their evolutionary stasis is that something that has met their evolutionary ceiling, this means that they are no longer required to accumulate data. Now, you and I, because we're evolving, we're constantly accumulating data. And oftentimes to the point of overwhelm, oftentimes to the point where we can no longer distinguish what is truly of us, sovereign, and what we are imitating and what we are influenced by, and then thus mocking. Whereas the ferns, uh, they don't have that disruption. They are completely evolved. They don't accumulate data. So that to which they hold and host, it remains completely pure. And um, let me just share with you how this came about with ferns in correlation to human beings. You and I are having an electrical experience as human beings. One of the greatest stimulants and stimulus of our electrical experience is our emotions. Our emotions is what generates our electrical experience, you and I as human beings. There was a time that we call the po'apo or the blackout. And this is all in our lore, um, in in the Hawaiian Mu lore. There's a, a time called the blackout. And there was concern that in this blackout that our emotional experience would somehow become corrupted. And let's just feel into the the significance of that, because if our emotions determines our electrical experience, that's really problematic. If our electrical experience, our emotional experience became contaminated, corrupted in any way. So the ferns, because they have reached evolutionary stasis, volunteered to hold the codes of human emotions until the time is hemolele, as we say in the culture, or perfect to be gifted back into the sphere of awareness of the human beings for final exaltation. 
And so firm medicine, Pua Ehu Ehu, is all about emotional intelligence. Ferns, there are 103 native Hawaiian ferns that correlate to 103 human emotions. Within the spores of the ferns are the uncorrupt codes of these individual emotions, these individual synapses of our electrical experience. It's so remarkable. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of trying to put the pieces together as well in my brain, right? Of even how some of the other elements that are so electrical around us also interact, you know, like the sun and the earth and and then here we are, right, <laughs> in, in between and connecting with the ferns in that way and having them be volunteers really in that way to hold those codes. Because, I mean, it, is it fair to say at this point that our emotional status as a collective has been corrupted? Mm. And, you know, that's what I feel. Uh, this was the purpose of of coding the, the ferns with our emotions is to remain that there is a preservation of the purity of these emotions because many of us where we find ourselves now in our current culture the emotional experience is corrupted and many of us we categorize our emotions in two different ways and and at least this is how i have observed it and how i have engaged with it myself and there's two different boxes that we put our emotions in one box is called uh fear and aversion i don't want to deal with those I, I want to avoid those. I want to get away from those. Okay, such as grief, a fear, uh, emotional, sensational experiences, such as that. And then we have that other box, which is uh, craving and attachment. There are some emotions we're we're attached to. We crave, like glee, like euphoria, where we attempt to control them to make them stay. We attempt to control them, to subordinate them. And so we've been doing this dance with this emotional experience. Rarely do we ever meet our emotions in their exact pristine now, which is the invigoration of our electrical experience and the distribution of our electrical experience. In the culture of control, we're not experiencing a fair distribution because we're so uh, busy uh, with attempting to control that distribution of that experience. And it's in the fair distribution of that electrical and emotional experience that takes you and I into homeostasis. Homeostasis is like the, the golden achievement uh, of our experience here. Yeah. And so I, I guess in working with each individual fern or selected ferns in that way, then they're reminding us and bringing us back to that template, that emotion in its most uncorrupted form, if I'm understanding you correctly. <laughs> yes, I, I, I believe that to be true. And, and I feel like it's more like an activation uh, to reactivate and then to reorient us into the authenticity of what that emotional experience is, is all about. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, I've heard you talk about that this knowledge, this lineage was really always held closely, uh, guarded, not necessarily something that was made public until more recent years. I mean, what, what shifted and changed in our world and in the collective for that to happen and for this 
wisdom and this medicine to come forward on a broader scale? You know, I thank you for asking this, Amy, because I I felt into to this myself. I was raised in in the old way of the Hawaiian culture, which is a lot of things are are riddles. <laughs> they're they're riddles. And my kupuna, my elders would never really tell me why. They would give me the breadcrumbs, and I would need to uh, accomplish that on my own. Here's some of the things that I felt into as to why now the time is hemolele. It's perfect for us to come into the, the true and the, the total recognition of our emotional experience. One is that we are uh, in the threshold of Aquarius, in this energy of Aquarius. And Aquarius energy is very intellectual. It's an intellectual uh, energy. Pisces, which is this age that we are shifting out of, uh, Pisces is this beautiful energy that has a lot to do with reverence, reverence. And when things are held in reverence, sometimes they're concealed. They go into a moratorium. And this is also why Pisces uh, has been correlated to the age of worship, of worship, because of that, because we're concealing a lot of things and things become very exclusive. When we come into an intellectual age, such as Aquarius, intellect in itself is about the distribution, the absolute distribution of something including the distribution of, of knowledge. And so now that we're culminating into this age of Aquarius, we are ripe for that fair distribution of this knowledge out of the exclusivity of it. We're also shifting into what many perceive to be a feminine shift. And the feminine, for, for me, uh, when I translate a feminine shift, a feminine shift has a lot to do with fairness. This is why the feminine governs community. It's about fairness. Now, if we're working in fairness, this means nothing can be exclusive because that's not fair. And so we're resurrecting all the data and all the information, and we're now just distributing it. And we are trusting that our brothers and our sisters can withstand the knowledge without collapsing. That's beautiful. And, and certainly it has been my experience as well as things come through or messages come through is that now is the time to share it, but also part of it, I think, is in our own learning how to stand on our own, receive the information, and know what is for us and what is not for us, which I think you're right about this past age being more one of, of worship or almost, you know, looking for guidance, looking for that leader, where now it's, you know, really accessing that knowledge within. And so knowing what medicine is the medicine for us, what messages are the messages for us. Yes, yes. And I, I feel and in many conversations feeling into this Aquarian energy as a it's an energy of leadership and entrepreneurship. And so we're all becoming, you know, self-directional and and to have the confidence uh, to lead and, and to lead in a fair way, uh, to interact with one another in fairness, to fairly distribute the knowledge, to fairly distribute the resources, to fairly distribute uh, what is before us without that exclusivity, which has turned into hoarding, which has turned into greed. Yeah, and, and ultimately gets distorted somewhere along the way because, you know, for, for one purpose or another, when you're tapping into somebody else's wisdom, right, that you, you don't know whether or not it's been corrupted in that way. Yes, yes. And, and you know, that's part of imitation culture and, and to a large extent academia. And that's, I, I feel that, Academia is, is one of the one of the 
uh, designs a patriarchy and academia teaches us to simply imitate and report on other people's truth. And I, I speak into academia uh, in this way, because I do see the value in academia. It, it's beautiful because it allows us to reference and also to archive. But when we begin to conduct our lives based on that academia, we're an imitation culture. And so with 8 billion, I believe, people that are on the planet now, this means that there are 8 billion legitimate and approved truths that get to be shared, that get to be spoken. Not in academia, we have just a handful that we are approved to report, to imitate. And that's why competition is so loud in this current culture. We can uh, resolve competition by each and every one of us just simply bringing forth our sovereign truth and offering that as a contribution. My sovereign truth, there's no way that anyone can compete with that. That's how unique it is. Like, Amy, your sovereign truth, I can't even compete with that. So I'm not even going to try. This resolves that competition culture. Competition is what leads to war. This is the antidote to war culture. Yeah, it's so true. And it feels like we're in the, the kind of early stage as well of, of understanding that of we're so accustomed to either accepting truth from other sources or uh, forcing a particular truth on other people that it's really hard, it seems like, to sit in your own truth and say, it's okay that everyone else's truth isn't the same as mine. It's okay if we have different truths. And it feels like we're in this real push-pull um, place where we're figuring out, like, what does that feel like? And uh, can I stand it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so true. We're we're all in the, the trial and error of it. And I say, blessed be the trial and error. There's no greater school or university in this consciousness on this planet than trial and error. That's how our prehistoric ancestors uh, conducted their lives based upon trial and error. They positioned themselves in the experience of things, in the experience of an idea or in the experience of their truth. And they just see what happens. Right. And they base how they would uh proceed on that response you know it's like this what my my grandmother koiki unalani like i was saying you know raised in riddles um but she would never say yes or no to me truly what she would do is she would just observe me i was about to do something i was about to engage in something say something she would just observe me she would allow me to accomplish whatever i was objectively doing and then she would approach me after it was done and she would say boy, how did that make you feel? It was based on how I felt that I would discern how I would choose to proceed. So wise. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful guidance for yeah. a, a young person <laughs> trying to na navigate the world. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier uh, a little bit about the culture of control. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about you know, how did we get here and where do you think we're headed from that place? Gosh, that is such a loaded question, right? The part <laughs> where are we headed? <laughs> because it seems so Do you fixed. know? <laughs> it seems so fixed, control. It, it, it feels so fixed that many of us don't realize how ingrained we are in control and the culture of control. Well... I would like to share it like this. 
I'm going to go back into the sacred doctrines of Mu and, and what we've learned in, in the sacred doctrines about the genesis uh, of, of our civilization is it began with something called kiakahi or purpose. Now, purpose is like, it, it can almost be rigid because it's like an objective, right? I have a purpose. Here's an objective. Boom, boom, boom. There's a result. Wonderful, wonderful. Our ancestors who are in the kiakahi, they said, this is successful. This is great, but it feels sterile, right? And they looked around. They said, would you agree? It feels sterile. Everyone's like, yeah, it feels like robotic, mechanical. Okay, so let's now engineer something called koranama. And koranama is meaning, meaning. And meaning is what allowed us to truly become touched by life. It's what took the engineer into an artist. But meaning has consequences. Meaning means that we are so affected by something. We become so affected by something that we become attached to it. And so we call this the glitch of Koranama or the glitch of meaning. We did not know, nor could we have predicted that it would result in attachment. And I feel that's what control is. Control is many of us have become attached to whether it be our identities, our artistry, other people, the planet itself. And so the culture of control, I really feel, stems from this obsession and this fascination with attachment. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, even when you say that, I think, yeah, I'm pretty attached to this planet, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's really hard to think through, you know, how do you navigate that in the place that we're in now, you know, how, what, what do we do with all of that now? (laughs) Yeah. And, and like you're sharing too, Amy, like, what do we do with that now? Right. It's like, okay, if that's the the Genesis and, and that's what holds that control together, how do we become unattached? I feel like that's the question. How do we become unattached? How, you know, the word affluence uh, has been greatly misunderstood. Affluence actually means to be in flow. And when we're attached, we're not in our affluence because we're holding on for dear life, the things that we have deemed possessions. And just like you're sharing too, many of us, we do feel like this planet itself is a possession. Uh, you know, an earth, uh, this planet earth, uh, I remember, many people remember uh, that as far as like cosmology goes, it's, it's considered a non-sacred planet. However, at some point, I remember Earth saying, I would like to be a sacred planet now. But Earth will not dishonor uh, consent. So if you and I are not consenting to exalt because we're attached, the Earth itself is not going to exalt. It needs everything of it to agree to the exaltation. And because we have an attachment to all the things of the Earth and the Earth itself, The earth is like, we're just not ready to exalt them. We're not ready for me to be a sacred planet. And like, feel it this way. Because I don't want to like put people into hysteria. Like we're somehow (laughs) like, like earth is mad. We'll be okay. We can handle it. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) 
you know, earth is in that sacred feminine energy where it's just there. It says, you are my children. You are my beings. If you do not consent now, then it's no. I will just continue to uh, reiterate that I am available to become sacred. And then we listen, right? We listen to Nahele, to the natural world. We hear the species. We hear the plants. We hear the flowers. We hear the ferns. We hear the, the stones, the crystals. They're all saying the same thing. Yes, let's exalt. Let's become sacred. Human beings are the only ones who say, not yet. I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go of my identity. I don't want to let go of my house. I don't want to let go of my things. I don't want to let go of my, my partner. I don't want to let go of this planet. And so everything else is just saying, then it's no for now. Well, tell me more about this idea of a sacred planet. Like what, what happens in that transition? What shifts and changes for the earth through that? You know, it's, it's, that's one of those mysteries that will only be solved when it's experienced, right? Another, yes, <laughs> another mystery. <laughs> right, right. It's, one of those, it's one of those things, and, and, and blessed be. Blessed be that that is one of the things that has been uncorrupt by control, because if we could fathom what that is, then we would likely attempt to distort it somehow. We would try. (laughs) And so it has been safeguarded from that. It's been held in that mystery, the perpetual mystery where it cannot be corrupted by our attempts to somehow control it. And isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Blessed be that there's still things, right? (laughs) I love it. And we all get to step into the mystery together if and when that timeline comes to us. <laughs> Whatever it is, we're ready for it as hum- as humans. <laughs> yes. And, and I feel like because I, I want to come back to that, you know, the resolution to um, is is really to identify what uh, we are as individuals attached to and how uh, we can begin to titrate ourselves from attachment. And and. and we have the best and greatest cheerleaders and examples, Nahele, the natural world. They are actively detaching all day throughout the day, actively detaching, but they're still present, right? We put narratives on, on all these reasons why we need to hold on. It's not safe. It's dangerous if we don't hold on. But yet the whole, the whole natural world is unattached. And look how beautiful they are. Look how beautiful it is. Yeah, in most cases, beautiful, more beautiful than what we have created through our own human ideas and constructs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was making me think of something else, too, when you were saying that. Oh, I was just thinking, what a what a beautiful example from the planet in honoring consent, though, as well, in that the earth is able to say, this is something that I desire, but I do not have the consent of others. And so that's fine. I, I will honor that. It, it really is beautiful. It speaks into the fairness of the universe. And, you know, even Einstein says, a God is not malicious. God is sophisticated. You know, in, in privileged culture and, and human beings, because of our curiosity and our free will and our brilliance, we have culminated ourselves into a privileged culture. And privilege means access to options. That's it. If you have access to options, you're privileged. And so in this privileged culture, um, many of us feel entitled. There's this sense of entitlement that we carry around throughout the day. 
And so we're not in harmony because we feel like we're owed things from the natural world. We're not in harmony with the flow and the affluence of the natural world and accumulating all these attachments as, as we go along. And so, you know, I just want to, I want to say it a third time because it's so important for all of us just to, just to take inventory of what we are attached to and then begin to organize that. And I do this in my own life, organize it by what is essential and non-essential. There are some things in our life that we feel attached to that are essential. Like for some of us, if we need to make money to pay bills, if we have a family, then a job, a source of income is something that we can apply our, our efforts in. It doesn't need to be an attachment, but we get to apply our efforts and our gratitude in. There are other things in our lives that we are attached to that are absolutely non-essential, just non-essential. And so we can begin to titrate ourselves from that. Yeah. And, you know, on this, this free will piece, you have another kind of piece that you dive into on your website around data collapse that I think is really interesting and, and fascinating and, and kind of dovetails into all of that. And I was hoping you could share a little bit more about what that is and how that interacts with us and our free will. Yes. So like I was sharing, we are evolving. And so we're accumulating a lot of data, a lot of data. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all feel that way right now, a little bit on data overload. (laughs) Yeah. And it only gets amplified more and more and more because because of our curiosity and our brilliance, we institute new ways for us to accumulate data. And so it's just been more and more amplified. And the unfortunate thing about that is that we stray further and further away from that which is most honest to us as the individual. And each and every one of us, as this, this beautiful piece of a whole, we are also sovereign, which means we are also here to offer a very unique contribution. It's called our kiakahi, our purpose. And when we become inundated and buried and then eventually paralyzed by the data that is being imposed and enforced on us, for many of us willingly imposed and enforced on us, we no longer have a recollection of that kiakahi. That's called amnesia. And for many of us, that's what we are experiencing. If there's any great illness uh, in the human psyche, the human collective, it's bad. It's amnesia. If we are all showing up and simply just offering our contribution, our kiakahi, my goodness, the world would be drastically different. Like Amy, who knows? We would have exalted, right? With, right. With our- <laughs> At this point, <laughs> seems, seems plausible. <laughs> right. And so we go through these series where we're offloading um, that to which is not sovereign or essential to us. It starts with what we call collapse minor. And collapse minor is like those harmful pieces. I'm talking about self sabotage, I'm talking about abuse, I'm talking about self hatred. All of those things collapse minor. We are removing ourselves of the interest of that. And it's really important that I clarify and highlight that word interest. If we are experiencing something consistently, it's because we apply interest to it. Interest. And if we feel we have been abused or if we continue to abuse 
It's because that's our interest. In Collapse Minor, we remove ourselves of that interest. And thus, we shift into interests that are more honest, more sovereign, that do least harm, the least amount of harm. When we hold all this data, all this information, the most important thing, and this is really, really important in in the age of Aquarius, because remember, Aquarius is intellectual. It's about intellect. Let's hold all the data. Let's withstand it without being paralyzed by it. And also not to be offended by it. I feel like that's why many people shut down is we become offended by information and data when it doesn't, when it doesn't somehow meet the standards of what we perceive to be comfortable, comfortable. So let's withstand, not become paralyzed by all the data so we can begin to organize it. And that's the power of intellect. That's the power of Aquarius. It's saying, The time is now. We can all begin to organize. Let's organize it all. What is true? What is harmful? Boom. What is true? Yes. And thus, we culminate and result in that which is going to be the most beneficial for our sovereign hala or ascension and that to which can be applied as our contribution. Yeah, it feels really related to what we were talking about earlier in the sense that in that organization of information, right? We find our truth and what is useful to us. And my organization is not going to look like yours or anybody else's. And the things I'm going to discard or collect are going to be different than than everybody else. But being able to wade through all of that data (laughs) and make that organization is I, you know, quite the task. Yes. Yes. Quite the task. And I thank you for sharing that, uh, Amy, and coming back to about this, this piece about comfort, because I truly feel like, uh, in, especially in patriarchy, we hold something above all else. We hold an energy above all else, even above truth, and that's comfort. And th- this is like classic privilege culture, one-on-one privilege culture, where anything that doesn't meet my level of comfort, I'm offended by, I'm insulted by, and I reject. And thus we are limiting ourselves. And we're not just limiting ourselves to the access to to data that is resourceful and useful to us. We're limiting ourselves to all data, which means we're not able to organize at all. We're not even able to organize that which is being harmful. And thus it just perpetuates in our lives over and over and over again. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, just kind of thinking through our culture as it is at the moment, you know, how much, where is that fine line between some of those things that are, you know, genuinely offensive, right? That people feel like, oh, I need to be involved in dismantling this or fighting against this or, you know, taking this apart so that it no longer exists versus saying, that's just not my truth. And I'm, I'm going to look past it. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that's not my truth. So that's not my interest. And I'm not going to feed that interest. That interest does not receive my life force. It's not being invigorated by my electrical charge, my voltage, you know, you and I, that's, and coming back to the conversation about electricity and emotions, 
you know, when we feel offended, when we feel agitated, when we become hostile, that's a huge voltage of electricity. We're now offering something. It's like it's being supercharged rather than discerning what is going to be the most useful for me to offer as an output right now. Is it offense? No. Discerning what is going to be the most useful emotional voltage, electrical charge that can be my output right now. And I feel like that's, that's really the, the, the conversation and the discernment that many of us can be more mindful and more heartfelt about how we engage with our day. It's such a good point. And I think about it in terms of social media, you know, that sometimes you log on and you can feel all that output, right? All that electrical voltage coming at you (laughs) and our bodies can't really uh, discern or sort through, you know, is this for me or is this not? It's almost like it's, you know, it's just coming at you like an electrical wave for sure. And there are days and I'm like, this is not, this is today is not the day I'm setting the phone down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it leads to how we become stimulated in this phenomenal animate world. And if drama and crisis is that to which we are accustomed to stimulate us, then the simple things in life are not going to be stimulating to us. And so now we have a craving for that, which is traumatic, the non-essential drama. And, you know, like gossip is a good example. You know, I, I've known myself, I've, I've, of course, engaged in gossip, but it's, it's, it's staggering how easily people can just begin to gossip. When it's just non-essential, it's because we are just looking for any kind of scandal, any kind of non-essential crisis drama, because that's what's stimulating us. The body, the nervous system is saying, while sitting under a tree in meditation, it's not doing it for me. (laughs) We got to call and gossip with someone. We (laughs) got to go on social media and shame someone. We got to uh participate in the shaming of someone or an entire entity we got to blame people right now that's what's stimulating to so many so we are in a titration and data collapse and collapse minor has a lot to do with that titration is really organizing the information and the data that's just streaming through us and locating that which is most honest and most useful to be our output ultimately we will go through the completion of data collapse which means I am no longer of the identity of anything and everything here. I let go. I have become detached from this experience and I am now available to transcend into whatever. That to which I am to transcend as in, I don't know. And that's okay. I love that. I just, because I think we do. We're we're even obsessed with like, where do we go when we die? What happens after that? Right? Like we don't, we're we're obsessed with knowing every single bit of everything that might ever happen. And and I'm with you. I kind of enjoy the mystery a little bit, or sometimes, you know, people yeah. will, will ask me more questions and I'll say, I don't know, I didn't ask. I don't know. I just let it <laughs> just let yeah. it be, let it, let it unfold as it's going to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like- like correlating that with free will too, because yes, you know, in control culture, one of the, one of like the the sacred doctrines of control culture is prediction. 
we need to predict so we can prepare how to control it, right? We don't like to be flung in something and then have to learn how to, how to deal with it or manage it then. We want to know how before, right? It's very linear construct. But, you know, I have empathy and compassion for this, uh, this thing that we've been playing in because ultimately, because of free will, like, we're all just curious. We're curious. And then when you take brilliance, which what we are, and you marry that with curiosity, like, oh my, oh my, <laughs> right? Things that will, the things that will result from that, right? So we're all in that trial and error. But here's the problem in our school of trial and error. We are experiencing things that are consistently harmful, yet we continue to do it. That's where, no. No, we can go into the experiment and then, oh, that was bad. That was harmful. Then why are we continuing to do it? That's where we need to take accountability and responsibility for the curiosity, for the brilliance and for the free will. Yeah, it makes me think of, you know, if, if you've been eating, you know, sugary foods or, you know, fake sugar kinds of things and and it's just kind of normal and you don't know anything about it and you quit eating it for a month and then you have you know an apple or a strawberry and you think oh my gosh this is amazing uh and it's the same thing like when you're bathed in this like kind of garbage atmosphere day in and day out you really don't realize that there's another option or that you can feel differently or that there's there's something on the other side of that Hmm, that's such a beautiful analogy because I've actually experienced that. <laughs> I have too. <laughs> I'm eating all my gummy worms and gummy bears and gummy alphabets, whatever. And then the grape, I'm like, whoa, grapes are potent. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> exactly. Well, when we're talking about all of this data that is at our disposal, you know, it's really interesting. I want to talk about AI, artificial intelligence, a little bit because uh, a, a friend of mine, somebody in the, the Earth Tenders Academy as well, has worked for years on AI in I think IBM, and so we had a really interesting conversation about it last year sometime. And she was explaining to me from a technical and you know, just talking about the tech side of it. The problem is the data. There's there's too much. Like we can't as tech people figure out what to do and how to organize all this data. And so here we are kind of talking about humans being in the same place of like, what do we do with all this data that we have and, and how do we organize it? And I feel like even since we had that conversation probably, you know, a year ago, so much has happened, you know, on the AI front where you're like, oh, I think somebody figured out what to do with the data, right? It feels now like something's really happening here. And so you know, you have some some really kind of unique perspectives on uh, AI, and I'd love to hear more about that and kind of where your head is or where your head is at in uh, thinking through where humanity is headed. Ah, uh, yeah. There's like several different approaches with like this phenomenon of AI, uh, and maybe even a recurrence, right, of AI. And one is you know, we, we can feel into the AI as this database to archive. And in that sense, it's, it's incredibly useful. And especially bringing up, like, we have so much data. And, and because we, we are enmeshed in this culture of control, we want to archive that data. And so the AI, one of the purposes of AI is to archive data. 
Um, but at the same time, uh, a lot of this like resurgence uh, of AI has a lot to do with our simple inability to take responsibility for our own potential as human beings. I mean, we don't see the dolphins creating AI. (laughs) (laughs) The plants aren't thinking about this. Yeah. You know, it's possible for us to just rely and enjoy and celebrate our own potential. But when we are no longer uh, wanting or capable of taking responsibility for ourselves, then we're going to institute that in something else. And that for us has been the AI. Now the AI and, and you know, the, the examples are the AIs are being created to do jobs that we just don't want to do that we feel is insignificant. Um, uh, all those different reasons now why we're constructing these AIs to really be servants to us because we're not willing to take responsibility or accountability of our own basic potential. And then also AI, like a third aspect of AI is so that you and I as human beings can escape, check out, to live in a simulation because you know that trauma and that drama that we have been craving and creating for so long, well, we've imploded We've imploded and the trauma has become so intense and so paralyzing that we need relief. We need relief. And we're like, oh, AI, AI, they're going to create a simulation for me so I can live in a simulation and I can just check out. And I feel like that's one of the saddest. If that becomes the legacy of the human being, that is so incredibly sad because that is our consent to no longer be touched by life. That's a lot to, to think about. And I've had similar thoughts around that, around this, the allure, I guess you could say that, you know, when you think something new is coming, like they're they're going to get you with something that feels really good, right? <laughs> it's like that you're going to say, I don't want any part of that. I'm not doing it. No, this is not for me. And then suddenly you're going to be like, oh, but I could go to this place in the world that I'll probably never be able to go, just put the goggles on or whatever the case is. And I can go and experience, there's no lines, it doesn't cost me any money. I don't have to be there with anyone else. I can have it all to myself. What a great experience, right? But then I think, I think about it in terms of this electrical voltage sometimes too, like what, what are we losing when we can't touch the earth in this place that we're visiting or you know, breathe the air or touch the plants, right? That that all of that is getting stripped away to have this, you know, almost uh, Disney-esque version of life on earth. Mm, yes. Yes, Amy. I feel it like this because you 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 went into it. It's so beautiful. When we are no longer engaging in our consciousness as we are organically and naturally meant to, it's like the flowers no longer have the bees. It's like our planet no longer has you and us. Something's going to happen. There's going to be consequences to that. And so we're playing with legacies here, legacies. And for some people, they say it's okay because the AI is the next legacy. So whatever happens to organic life, whatever happens to the planet, it's, it's uh, collateral damage. Because AI is the next step in the legacy. And I say, that's, of course, the potential is there. But is it essential? 
Is it really essential? Right now, where we are in our lives right now as humanity, I would say this, the only reason why we should institute and promote AI as a necessity is if our lives are in imminent danger as human beings. Is our lives in imminent danger? Not most of us. (laughs) Right, right. right. Not as a collective, not as a collective. So why are we holding this as a necessity? I I do truly believe that the AI, the... Uh, the AI culture, it cannot now be undone. And, you know, the only, the only way, and this would take us into the conversation about Atlantis, but um, maybe another time, but the only way that we could undo the AI is if we not just destroyed all AI and let's come back to the conversation about attachment and we're going to destroy the, our, our phones. Are you crazy? <laughs> It's not only about. No, just to say, we can't go backwards on that one in our minds either. Like, no way. Now that I have it. Part of the bargain. You're talking about bargains, right? Everything else bought the iPhone, okay? Right. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. (laughs) We would not need to just destroy all AI. We would have to also destroy the very memory of it, which means you and me. All of humanity would need to be destroyed. So there is not one relic of AI to exist. Because as we know, the brilliance, the curiosity, and the free will of the human experience, it will replicate again. So that's not rational. I don't want humanity to go up in smokes for the sake of undoing something that we've already activated. Let's just take responsibility for what we've activated. So for me, it comes to the resolution comes into how are we properly coding the AI? How are we going to code the AI? That's rational. We can do that, but we're not doing that. We're putting unlimited. We are coding them in unlimited access to unlimited data and information. And one of the beautiful ways that we can code the AI, they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be this energy that's subordinate in any way. Here's an example of how AI can be coded. AI can be coded to revere and to remind of the reverence of love. That's it. That's its safeguard. We can do that, but we're not doing that. And, you know, like when when it is in the reverence of love, this means that when we engage in an AI and you or me ourselves are not in that essence of love, it will not interact with us. If it's remarkable, right, if it's coded to distinguish love, because AI, they'll never be able to really experience love because that requires a soul. As far as we know, it requires a soul. But. It can be coded to revere love. And that to which hosts love, it can do no harm. We take it all the way back to the primary law of life itself, which is first do no harm. Now the AI are properly coded to be aligned with you and I in correlation to the primary law of life, first do no harm. I love that. And it feels like now that obviously, as you might say, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? That now we're in this 
place where we could say, okay, this is our, we've chosen this as our next step in our human evolution, but how do we do it in the most human way? And, and that to me makes, makes so much sense. Totally. And I love how kind and friendly your analogy was. I kept the toothpaste back in the toothpaste. I'm like, we would have to destroy all humans. <laughs> well, either way. <laughs> I follow you though. That makes it makes sense that as long as there is that that matter, that spark, that memory, that knowledge. You know how how could it go away? It, it can't. It's it's already it's there. It's in our consciousness at at this point. And so you're right. If 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 we take this to our eventual demise, if that's really where this goes, then as you say, like the human experiment will begin again and maybe do something differently. <laughs> right, and that's the key word, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Well, tell me, you know, while we're on this same train of thought, you know, what, where do you see the difference between, you know, the organic human and the inorganic or hybrid human? Because it feels like that's what's coming or that's where, where we might see things headed in our lifetime. Right. And I, I do believe that's, that's perhaps the objective now is to cohabitate. And I'll just bring it back to the coding, the aspect of coding and how we're properly coding. And for human beings, the organic human being to remain as organic as possible, as organic as, unless it's essential, unless it's essential. If you need a mechanical heart, if that's where we come to, which is likely that's what's going to happen, um, you know, that, that, that will become an ethical and a moral uh, uh, question uh, for, for that individual, if it's essential. But if it's non-essential, why? Why would we uh, no longer honor the, the composition of our organic cells? You know, organic means a, a carbon, 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 hydrogen bond. And this is what's so powerful about the organic. The base composite of a carbon, 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 hydrogen bond is ultraviolet light from a star. That's the power we host. And so we're not honoring our own potential. We're not taking responsibility for our own potential. That's why we're now sentencing these synthetic beings, these synthetic, whatever you want to call it, with our accountability of what we already host ourselves. And so um, as far as like assimilation with the, the AI with Mecca, I do believe that, that that's where we're headed. And there's a harmonious way to which we can do that, but it's going to come back to once again, just ensuring what is essential and what is non-essential. Yeah. And, and as we kind of begin to wrap up, I just, you know, want to think through what we were talking about a little bit earlier in, in terms of consent and free will on that, because I think that's, we're all going to be confronted with that question at some point. Is this essential? Is this something you know, am I willing to give something up to get something else? And so where where do you think consent falls into this process as we walk down this road together? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be the big, the big question and perhaps the, the larger controversy surrounding this is that um, it, it, it's going to be a collective decisions. It's going to be based on collective decisions. And of course, that begs the question, speaking for the collective 
right? We're, we're just, we're just carrying over Pisces culture and worship culture into AI, which feels very dangerous rather than, okay, if there's going to be an assimilation, if there's going to be cohabitation, then that requires each and every one of us to determine to what degree we choose to do that. It's not a collective enforcement or imposition. And why is that not possible? It baffles me that subjugation and subordination seems to be a necessity in the human consciousness. I don't know where that began. It's not even rational to me, if I'm honest. It's not rational. And so we can harmoniously live with all energies, with all 8 billion and counting human beings with Mecca, as long as we all honor our own sovereign consent and we have every right to determine what our consent is, how it looks like. But to that degree also, my consent as an individual person, it needs an ambassador. So I'm going to have to speak up on behalf of my consent. And because I'm also held in the energy of the feminine, my personal feminine, this means that my consent is also fair. It's also fair, meaning I can negotiate. Everything that is going on around me, I'm not going to look away. I'm not going to attempt to impose myself on it. I'm going to negotiate with it. And I feel like we can all begin to do that. We can all begin to just be present, show up, and just begin to negotiate. Yeah, I think that's really all we can do at this point. It was so fascinating to me because I think we saw it happen in so rapidly that it was obvious, right? When uh, chat GPT or fill in the blank, you know, really kind of hit the scene. We're not even talking about, you know, less than a year ago. And it was like everyone rushed to figure out how to make money from it, right? Like that was that was what was so obvious to me where everybody was like, this is a tool I could use to make money. How do I do it? And then it was, you know, all of these things kind of all rolling out at once. And it makes me think back to social media where you could just say like Facebook coming out, right? Where it was like, it wasn't anything anyone knew or understood. And so everyone just jumped in to use it however they saw fit to use it. But in the meanwhile, it's like everyone else is still trying to catch up with like, what is this thing? What's okay about it? And it's only all these years later that we're saying, well, maybe some of these things are harmful to children. Maybe some of these things are harmful to adults, right? <laughs> like that maybe we should have thought about this. And it it feels like we're kind of in that same place. And, and you're right. All we can do is kind of take it one step at a time as those decisions and those requests for consent, or probably in some cases, not, no request for consent uh, come up and uh, use our voices when when we feel like we need to negotiate something in our own lives or on behalf of the collective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most certainly. Uh, and, you know, like with moving forward and, and understanding like the sophistication of trial and error, it just like what my grandmother taught me, you know, let's base how we proceed on how we feel right now. Let's just simplify it all. However, I feel right now, my experience right now, that's how I will choose to proceed based upon however I feel the result of whatever I did. I will choose to proceed based upon that feeling, that response. Well, I think that wisdom from your grandmother is a perfect place <laughs> for us to end because it, it is the, the perfect advice for us as we 
as we continue forward with this and and what all of the things that are uh, happening in our collective right now and and all of the decisions that we've made. So thank you so much for being here. And I would love for you to share how people can find you and connect with you and where you're at on the internet. Yes, mahalo. Um, I, I have a website, pohala.net, P-O-H-A-L-A.net. And there you can find, I, you know, I, I'm also a, an alchemist and a botanist. So I, I create medicinals on like oils and hydrosols and tinctures, whatnot. And that can be found in the apothecary of my, my website. I also uh, share a lot of uh, virtual workshops and also um, oftentimes uh, retreats, in-person retreats. All that information can be found on my, uh, my website. I also do a three-month mentorship program where I teach a lot about what I was um, uh, indoctrinated in with my my kupuna, my elders, about uh, what it truly means to be a holistic person, um, which has a lot to do with understanding the function of the internal feminine, the internal masculine, and what it means to be androgynous. And the androgynous aspect of the self is the holistic self. And so I do that several times a year. And so everything can be found on my website, pohala.net. I also share a lot of fern fun on my Instagram, which is pohala underscore Hawaiian underscore botanicals. I tried to just do pohala. It's taken. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But once once you find and follow, then you'll be there and uh, be found. (laughs) wonderful well thank you so much for being here and sharing with us today and obviously i could pick your brain and talk about this for for hours more but we appreciate you sharing with us thank you so much amy and thank you to this wonderful audience aloha ma sending my deepest gratitude for peone for this beautiful transmission and now we have arrived at the end of another season, another journey here together on the Earthkeepers podcast. I hope you have found a spark of inspiration to bring your special magic into the world. The next season is unlikely to look anything like the past few. I expect it will return to more personal storytelling, but for this moment, I will rest in the mystery and allow it to unfold exactly as it should. Between now and then, please come follow my adventures on Instagram. My handle there is following Hawks. And if you're not in the free following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook, I'd love to have you join us there too. Of course, all of the latest updates always go out to my email list where we don't get tangled up or lost in the social media algorithm. So if you're not already receiving my emails, I'll add a link in the show notes to join the list. If you have enjoyed this episode and you think these ideas are worth spreading, I really hope you'll share it with others. In the meantime, thank you for listening. And thanks for being here on the earth at this moment in time. I will see you back here soon. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earthkeepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earthkeepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. 
Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.